Well, welcome to Ask Grief Girl. We are here with some friends of mine and we are going to have a little conversation about some questions that we've gathered from those who are not yet bereaved or folks who are just curious about how to help a bereaved loved one in their family or a friend of theirs. Um, I am going to ask my friends and favorite mamas from Instagram to introduce themselves, whoever wants to go first. My name is Tina. Um, what would you like to know? Well, I would like to know who you're here on behalf of, whose mom are you, and where you're from. Okay. Um, I'm originally from a middle European country called Slovenia, but I've been living in Finland for the last nine years. Mm -hmm. um, I have three children. I have two living children who are 13 and 10, and I have um, a baby boy that was born still, Tapio, and it's been quite a bit already, 2016, August. So I'm here on behalf of him. Welcome. Thank you. Dominique. Everyone, I'm Dominique Rice. I am a um, mother to five and four living kids. And I live out in Brooklyn, New York. And um, I'm originally from San Francisco, um, but I've been in Brooklyn for over 13 years now. And I identify as um, TJ's mama. And I'm just so thrilled to be here in communion with everyone. So thank you for having me. Mm, welcome. Kim? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Kim. Uh, I am Leona Grace's mommy. I currently live, where do I live? Uh, I currently live in the San Francisco Bay Area on Ramaytush Ohlone land. Um, and yeah, I, I met Dee through our beautiful Instagram community of bereaved mamas in the worst way possible, but the most beautiful people. True that, I mean. <laughs> and I am Dianaya, the founder of Adventures of Greek Girl. I have three children and I am mother to Phoebe and Pierce and Stella Bell. So I am here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the reason that I, I love to put together panels like this is because I think that we should create this net of like care for us the bereaved and we find ourselves in places where we are often you know defending our grief or helping somebody understand what we're going through um <clears throat> it's not often that we see each of us like, you know, saying, Hey, I'm not taking care of y'all right now. I need to take care. Like, these are the people who are hurting and these are the people who I can help, you know, deeply just with telling my story, you know? So that was kind of my idea for Adventures of Grief Girl and where I would go with it. But I often find myself telling folks how to help <laughs> and, and so we are here today. 
to answer some questions. And we have Jamie who will take over as the facilitator so that I could, you know, kind of just join in the conversation as well. I will. Hey folks, I'm Jamie. Um, I met Dee on the socials, the social medias. And um, we've been doing some really wonderful work together and I've learned so much about her work through our connection. And I'm just really honored to be in this space to facilitate. I'll mostly be just reading questions and hopefully keeping us to time so that we don't <laughs> spend any more of your time than you've committed to today. Thank you all so much for being here. So any, are there any questions or anything before we begin or shall I dive into that first question? Ooh, dive in. Are you ready? Dive. Let's <laughs> Okay, so we are going to start with a belief that is commonly held and we just want to hear your take on it. So the belief is that grief only lasts a certain period of time. And after you've gone through the stages of grief, you should be done grieving. Is this true? And does it ever stop hurting? I'll hop in if, if that's okay with the group. Um, and the reason why I asked to hop in is because this question really fires me up even five, five years later, five years on since um, my TJ died. And um, it fires me up because I once um, was so naive to this belief that um, grief was nice and tidy, that if you um, displayed any um, emotions past like a year, that there was something wrong with you, that there were these stages. And then, you know, when my son died, it ripped me open and gave me a completely different perspective because I was forced to, was forced to look within. And, and I think early in the early days, um, within the first year, I researched um, the quote unquote five stages. And I remember listening to this um, via audio because I had a difficult time um, reading. So I had to listen to it just um, uh, uh, via audible. Um, and I would, I literally screamed the first time I, I heard the, the stages and he just going off and, and I screamed because it made me feel crazy, it made me feel crazy that there was something wrong with me, that there weren't these nice, tidy steps that I was going towards. And, um, long story short, now over five and a half years, almost five and a half, or no, almost five and a half years, um, I am so vocal about unapologetically grieving because this is life work. This is right. life work being a griever. Um, it's a life work parenting your dead child. It's mm -hmm. beyond these five stages. You juggle like 10 different emotions, sometimes even like 30 or 40 at once. And there's nothing wrong with it. absolutely nothing. And it's so essential for us to dismantle this perception of what grief looks like because it creates shame within and our community refuses to let you know each other or the new grievers feel shame additional shame on top of everything that can present itself so um 
thank you for letting me kind of share my rage when it comes to the five stages and thinking that that grief is just nice and tidy and, and should be over in a year. Well, I mean, I think that that is like an indicator though for us as a community and how um, we've been conditioned to believe this thing and, and without even deeper research. And if you've done any research about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work, you will realize that, you know, she's talking to a specific group of people and those people are actually doing the dying. So yeah, it might be nice and tidy for them. And, and that's something that is what people believe is helpful can be potentially harmful to people who are grieving. And so, you know, I, I, I am done with, she meant well, <laughs> like, ooh, hey, listen, in the age of Beyonce's internet, get your life together. Get on Google. Yeah, she the- even... She even um, mentioned, well, when I did my research too, um, uh, that yes, it was a, those <clears throat> stages were for, for a specific audience. They were humans who were dying, right? And then I guess I had read that later on, she would even come to say that she got it wrong and that it wasn't actually meant for grieving, that it was actually mm-hmm. meant for like she corrected people who were leaning on her work so much so I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting that she clarified that for us yeah and and even then even though she's clarified it people are still doing this yeah <laughs> like they are still- because then there was even like David um Kubler-Ross that he's another one who was actually a grieving father himself and kind of fired me up again go figure um, in his perspective of um, kind of reiterating her theology around that. Mm. Um, but what do you, uh, Tina, you have a big smile on your face. No, it's like <laughs> the, <laughs> so I'm, um, I'm newly, not newly, well, second year student of psychology these days. Um, and I was just, I just finished a subject called Introduction to Psychotherapy and Counseling. And we were being instructed by a professor who is a clinical psychologist. And and we were talking about like different kinds of psychotherapies being um, applicable for different kinds of um, mental issues, um, traumas, internal conflicts and um she she mentioned grief and I just like my hair stood up because um (laughs) apparently so I'm I'm like since she said it I'm guessing this is kind of the the scientific approach to it is apparently if you are still grieving after a year this is already um, very, very bad mental health situation, and you need uh, truly like different kinds of um, kind of uh, different kind of therapy, different kind of approaches. It is not normal to be grieving that long. Um, which again, she's a seems seemingly young. Um, like 20, end of 20 something 
person which doesn't say anything but what it says about her is really that she has very little life experience in any kind of um, situations where any kind of grief is is involved like it doesn't have to be a death of a child it doesn't have to be a death of a parent it doesn't have to be anything that major but if you if like the floor is like just pulled under your feet you feel very differently and it doesn't really it, it has no kind of timeline it you cannot define it by some sort of time you cannot say in a year it's going to be over or you're really like so deep in that it's really who knows if you're ever going to crawl out again it is not true because we also know that apart from the fact that we are grieving we're also living and um living means different things and it can be done alongside of grieving and it's just yeah it fires me up too Dominic well you know Tina like you you bring up one thing that I know we probably we could spend like hours on because I know it I've spent a lot of time on it I know a lot of us have but from the psych the the psychiatric um or what was it the American Psychiatric Association earlier this year indicated that there's like prolonged grief disorder. And so it's essentially saying what you said, um, Tina, and like there's a lot of different theories that say this is great for the grieving community because then for in the States, since we have such a messed up medical system, it provides us as grievers with the opportunity for more insurance to be covered and prolonged um, uh, like leave if you are in a corporate setting. But for me, in my perspective of this is just, it's a bunch of like, it's just perpetuating the whole BS that we have of this is the belief that there's something wrong with you. When you strip all of these different things, you know, it's just, it's saying there's something wrong with you and there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> right. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with you. Something terrible has happened to you. And, you know, I don't really know what people think they would be doing, yeah. but I, I know that we are this representation of like, shit, death is just walking in the room right now. Yep. <laughs> and and yeah. folks just feel it. And they are automatically, you know, projecting onto themselves and onto everybody else. And, you know, the, the hurt does not stop just because you all see me out here living my life um me you know raising my two living children the way that we have our adventures this does not stop hurting it's the, like i wake up to the reality every day that i have less kids than i should have yeah. and you know that i'm estranged from my mother my father dropped dead you know like i can make a list of things that have happened to me in the last 10 years that have been severely traumatic to me yeah and you know and that's the other caveat of this is that y'all life doesn't stop happening to us and as much as you think we deserve these wonderful experiences that's not everybody's experience after they've experienced trauma you know they're not going on to live these wonderful amazing lives and you know oh everybody look at me it, it, we become the poster children those of us who are talking a lot they, they're like well why can't you be as strong as them 
you know and we're here like <laughs> when y'all get here you'll know <laughs> you'll know yeah yeah you'll know that you know this is not the pinnacle of our strength we don't know really why we get up every day and do what we do i cannot give you an accurate answer to that as cool as you know i think i am <laughs> like i i i can't i i i have no idea and i'm grateful that i do get up you said, a, you said a lot there i think that is just so powerful in the sense of like it's um this is life work right this is life work it evolves um as a griever as well like for me day one has been completely different than you know here i am five and a half years and i don't it's been a little softer in some ways but a little more heavy in some ways as well um right. Yeah. And I think another point that you mentioned, Dee, was like, not everyone has the same support, right? So like, um, I don't talk to my family anymore. My mom, that I just part. started talking to again recently, but like my son died. They helped me with the cemetery or the, the funeral arrangements, but then that was it. I don't talk to my family. And I used to be extremely close to my family. So my family mm -hmm. is my immediate knit and then the people that have stood with me and um a lot of those people that have stood by me have been on in on on social media people that i've that have shared my the deepest darkest reality um that i have you know that's, that's that similar similar understanding and there's no shame it's just holding each other's hand in the darkness um yeah and then another thing that you mentioned was like, this isn't just one day. This is not their death. It's just not their death. It's it's right. forever impacting every single aspect. And then when you like, you know, it's also bracing for like the holidays and the anniversaries yeah. and all these other things that are tied into it um, that I just wanted to kind of like acknowledge. And something that it, I, I try and um, emphasize is, is you can be grieving as quietly as you want to and as loud as you want to that's whatever your spectrum is is okay because this is just i hope we can swear sorry shitty oh this absolutely is, this, isn't one, <laughs> this isn't like a linear thing this is hard there's hard and it's not it's not it, it's okay if it changes every day it's okay if it changes multiple times a day um, because this is awful so wh whatever the least awful way that you're going to be showing up with your grief and yourself for every single moment is the most important mm -hmm. and there's a lot that happens so like talking about it see hearing it being about life work and then also d what you said about like where you have this kind of like persona like where people outside of the experience are wondering like oh, I see you living your life a certain way and you've come this far. Um, I'm seven years out um, and Leona was my only child. Um, and so there's a lot. I mean, I like I said, I met many I'm, I've met many mothers on social and I I do share a certain part of me. And then I'm also a teacher, so I'm very much up. A public face, I guess you would say. Um, but there's a lot that happens in that gray when there isn't anyone to watch that because I'm, I, I don't have children and I'm not married and I, I've chosen the life that I have right now. And there, 
yes, there's just so much that happens in that gray space. Um, and there are even moments when grief will, it, what you mentioned, Dominique, about how there's certain aspects that soften, soften, and then there are parts that are like still really razor sharp. And it's, it's not like I'm walking around on eggshells to avoid those sharp things, but then when they do come up, it, it just takes your breath away. And, and, and I've had moments where I can hear that external, like, oh, this again, or I feel that tension and I know it's not my voice. I've, <laughs> I've done a lot of unpacking of that in therapy and I know that it's not my voice, right? It's not, it, the, that those are internalized beliefs that seven years down the line, I should be, I should be doing some, whatever it is. I should be shooting. I'm shooting on myself. And I, I have to mindfully recall like what, what seven years out, would I have bringing myself back to that beginning moment? Would have I, would I have been this, Mm, abrasive what I've been this harsh to myself so I think that's one of the luxuries that I have of you know just being with myself is that I've learned to hear my voice through that grief and learn to hear it in those great great part points when I'm not you know kicking ass in the world and showing it or you know on the other hand where when I can't get out of bed <laughs> um so the work is the work is hard and a lot of it isn't seen and a lot of it isn't validated by people that we really want to have it validated by. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Y'all. Feeling some grief Thank and tea you. today, right? <laughs> I know, right? That's Dang. what we're here next, for. What's the next question? Yeah. Y'all, we going hard today. I'm telling you. I, <laughs> It's my favorite thing because I never know how these conversations are going to go. And like when I do the podcast, it's like, you know, we, we want to conversate and stuff, but like these gems that we get to drop, I hope that you all are hearing them in a place where you can receive them because, you know, I know that I am very angry when I'm in my grief and when I am telling people, I need y'all to be hearing this shit right now. And I need you to embody it. <laughs> so, you know, embody it so that you can help someone else. So that you, when, when it's, you know, even if it's not you, when it's, you can remember, hey, you, I, I remember her saying that there is a very simple way for me to just reach out my hand and support this person. And I don't have to project onto them my bullshit. I can just help which I think people really want to do, but in their, um, you know, they get all up in their heads and they're thinking they're helping, but they're not listening to the people who are telling them exactly what kind of help is needed. So I hope y'all hear us and in the gentlest way possible. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I just wanna say um, for a moment as somebody who's an outsider that every single thing that I'm hearing is extremely powerful as an outsider. And I hope that people who love grieving people, grieving mothers, listen to this too, because I feel really um, uh, privileged to be hearing what you all are saying. So 
Thank mm. you for that. And I'm it's I'm not going to cut anybody off. Um, if that's okay, <laughs> Dee. Like we might not get yeah, to yeah. the last questions, but yeah, I think you know it needs to flow. So if that's absolutely, right. we're we're okay. good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's move it along to our next question, which is, how do we find the balance between keeping our loved one's memory alive and not causing pain by bringing up a loved one unexpectedly? Ooh, can I do this one? <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I'll go next. Uh, hey. Um, so again, if we're remembering that everybody's grief is unique, you have to read the room. You have to read the room. And that requires you to be quiet. It requires you to be observant. It requires you to be listening on social media. So this is, this is, these are like kind of the quickest ways you can get to the people that you love. Follow what they're doing. If you see them talking about their baby all the time, call them be like, so I was wondering, yeah, I was just thinking about you and I was thinking about your baby. They're not gonna be upset with you. Nine times out of 10, they're gonna be like, somebody hears me. Somebody remembers that I'm grieving. Somebody remembers that I lost something that's so important to me in this physical form. And I get this a lot. Like, so I'm nine years in this year on Christmas day and folks, you know, be dancing around it still, even though I have this baby's name plastered across my body. I have symbols of her everywhere. I don't take pictures down in my home. And again, Adventures of Grief Girl would not be Adventures of Grief Girl without this experience. And so, you know, I am always like, damn it, I'm having to take care of you. I don't want to bring her, uh, listen, you didn't already brought her up. I don't never let her go. So at this point, you're just acknowledging that she's still a part of my family. She is still part of me. She is still part of me going forward in everything that I do. So I may not mention her every day. I may not show pictures of her every day, but there is a piece of her in every single little thing that I do. You're not reminding me that my child is gone. You're not reminding me because I remember every day when I go, when I get up and I remember every day when I go to bed, <laughs> like every day, there's not a time that I forget this is a thing. I agree with that. I was going to go next, but I, now I'm like, oh, I don't know <laughs> what you were saying. <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> Um, yeah, I just want to echo that she's, Leona, our children are in every moment, whether we, every moment, and for me, I can only speak for myself and every fiber, fiber of my being that I know. Um, I am a bereaved mother and I'm also uh, an adoptee who has never been in reunion with her birth family. And so... For me, you know, my daughter was the first blood relative I ever met. Um, and mm. so, like, it, it, it still blows my mind to this day thinking about, like, what would that be like to meet my family, just, you know, family in general for the first time, and then having that ripped away from you, in my case, in seven days um, after, you know, 
even as simple as someone who looks like me that that I see that every day and so when I look in the mirror right I look in the mirror and so you know there are I I don't need to be reminded because I am the only face of my family that I know and so when I look in the mirror and I get ready there's that okay so I have this wrinkle today and wow you know a quick moment of well, what would my child have looked like with that one little wrinkle and would she have looked the same way as me and things like that. Um, and so balancing it, I, I don't know that I've, I, I guess I've been pretty good at balancing it. Um, but um, like me personally, um, but I struggle, I think I struggle with uh, again with like bringing her up with family um and how how not to cause that pain to cause cause that pain I, 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 I even now I feel like I'm tiptoeing <laughs> I hear it in my voice <laughs> I hear it in my voice <laughs> um yeah I think now going back to that just reflecting in this moment about what my voice is doing um it's that awareness it's and feeling my cheeks are getting really hot right now and no one's in the room with me no one else is in the room you're on the screens i feel my cheeks getting hot i feel my voice wavering i feel that tightness in my chest um and i i'm really in tune and really aware with my body i'm not the best at it but i'm a dancer also so i'm also aware of those things so it's tuning in I think that's kind of where I find my balance um tuning into that part of me and trusting that trusting whatever that is that's in my body because I I believe that our bodies are really really wise um and since we're so connected to our babies I mean you know microchimerism we got those cells in our, within our bodies and how connected we were through birth um and so it's about tuning into my body in those moments and kind of and letting that guide me I guess so if it's that tightness and I don't want to have that tightness and it's pissing me off because what you're saying <laughs> what you're saying is invalidating me or dismissing me then I I can respond and react or react in that moment and I think there's there is a hard-earned wisdom that comes with this many years out when you can figure out when you're trying to figure out the balance between reacting and responding because those are different things right those are very mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. so I don't know if I answered the question but that's what came to mind. <laughs> well, I think you, I think you answered it from the perspective of being asked though, you know, if somebody's dismissing your honoring of your baby, Leona, you know, that that's, if you all heard what was being said is that she, what she's experiencing when you don't ask or when you dismiss or when you, you know, so I think that's a fair, that's a fair answer. Absolutely. Because, you know, that's, 
a thing that I don't think people get to really hear a lot is like what's actually happening in somebody's body or, or their response of when they're being dismissive in this way or when they're not mentioning your daughter because she is part of you, yeah. you know, like. Even like during like the holidays, like I think it's important to recognize like, like you got to acknowledge the birthing partner. It's not like it ever like they don't ever disappear. Like we we even use like these fluffy words of like, oh, they're they're lost. No, they're not lost. They died, but they still live and they're still like a part of us. And the reason why I mentioned that is like I know like obviously we're we're going to more of like the traditional holidays, but even with like Mother's Day. Yes. Acknowledging <laughs> acknowledging the birthing partner who identifies as a mother or the father, like they deserve to be acknowledged with that one child or two children or however many children died. Um, right. And I think that that's also a part of it, right? Recognizing that those that are looking to be allies for grieving individuals need to get over their discomfort that exists for maybe a few minutes, maybe an hour, because we live with that constant discomfort. It does never goes away. It's always there. Never it is there. always, it is always, always there. there again. It's always there. Among us, we are not raw in our grief. It's not our first, you know, year. It's not our first month. It's, I'm nine years in, y'all. You know, it, it, it really can feel very raw some days, still nine years in. <laughs> so, you know, and, and people forgetting that this is something that I deal with every day. This is not something that I can put in my purse and put on a shelf or a book that I close and I never read it again. So, you know, that's kind of, I guess, the theme here of bring her up, <laughs> bring her mm-hmm. up. And words when, matter uh, when you do, right? Words yeah. matter when you do. Because uh, what is it? I think I was getting a haircut with a new hairstylist and I I remember I remember getting my first haircut my first year and that how you know (laughs) I'm sure we all we have stories and if you're you know we're living through it now um how that can be such uh sensitive and triggering uh places to go and I just remember recent it was it was it last December it was last December I'm saying that yeah my daughter died 2015 um, or no, I said two, uh, six years ago and they're like, wow, you know, I, they didn't really know what to say. Um, they were really, they gave me their condolences. And then I brought Miona up again in a different way. And I, and I said, yeah, back in 2015 and the stylist actually like stopped, she stopped cutting my hair and looked up at me and she said, you said that differently. Like that doesn't feel like it was that long ago. And in that moment where it could have been one of those terrible, horrible moments, the fact that she said, she acknowledged in that moment, that's one, the switch of the language, that she recognized that switch of the language, and two, the impact of that. Because do you say it's been nine years, but if you think about it, it's only been nine Christmases, nine Thanksgivings. If you want to, you know, pull it all together, you know, yeah. cumulatively, yeah, it seems like a lot, but when you break it down to just the holiday, the traditional holiday itself, so 
only mm-hmm. been nine Thanksgivings or nine holidays, seven holidays for me. So mm-hmm. the words also an issue, isn't it? Like that is the the part of an issue. Like like the part of an issue is also like that we need to be um, looking after other people. How our words affect them. How um, how how they get discomforted by by what we say. Like why is that even a thing? Why is it even? Why don't you just like pretend? Because I need to be pretending, but you don't. Like it's very it's very imbalanced that in that way. Um, that even like even if you said that like. When you said Kim that, like the different way you put it, it felt different to the hairstylist. Mm. But why? Like it, it matters. It doesn't matter actually because it 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 is it is still like it's the same thing for us, mm-hmm. but and it impacts us the same. It has the same kind of weight. It doesn't matter if it's today, yesterday, five days ago a year ago 20 years ago we can see stories on the internet every day about how some people are still impacted by the death of their babies 50 years ago 70 years ago like looking for graves um, looking for little items they've lost like it's I'm like the the thing that is that is hard for me to to understand is how we can be so in tune with so many things but but this kind of things are so easily dismissed like and so and it feels like it feels dismissive yeah to us it feels dismissive I find it dismissive when my parents don't acknowledge Tapio's existence, for example, it feels mm-hmm. dismissive when, like, I don't get a call when on, on on the day he was born. I don't, I don't get, I don't. Nobody asks me about his due date, like things like that. How how is that not like it is etched in me in every fiber of me? Like it, it's it's not going anywhere. It's it's there. It like, and and I'm I'm adapting to other people by not mentioning it or like. And I'm I'm also on the other hand I'm also kind of I, uh, kind of justifying it for myself. Like this is my experience, so it doesn't really need to be um, shared with other people. It doesn't need to go outside of our community. Because because it's my experience and the um, our community knows what we are talking about, but the others don't. So I don't really need to burden anybody with it. But on the other right. hand, like we want that. I don't know. It's really, I don't know. I think I'm it's up to you though. Kind of, I think it's up to you. It is. Tina, it is right? for and sometimes sure. that changes, right? I think we can all attest to like some people saying, oh, how many kids do you have? And sometimes you, yeah, you give them the true and then sometimes you don't based on your it bandwidth. And because you, we are the keepers of our children, of our stories, 
Um, and sometimes, I mean, on the daily, we have to have that grief mask. That's why I love some of the work that you do, see, just because it's like, it's truly <laughs> like, it's the grief, it's the physical grief mask that we wear every single day. And sometimes we just, for a second, we keep it oh, like halfway off, you know, kind of like the Phantom of the Opera one where it's like halfway, you know, and we may expose it. And then we drop these truths if we feel like, we feel like we don't have to hold that arm. But I think Tina, to, to your whole point, I think it's, it just depends on, um, on how you feel in that given moment and you're the keeper, right? Yeah, for sure. But I think it does take time to have that, to come to that realization. Though, I because yeah. I'm making yeah. it seem like it's easy. Like, no, it took no. me a, a while. And like, <laughs> no, it took me a while. This, yeah, again, and it like comes and goes earlier. too. Yeah, like you said earlier, it's the. Um, <laughs> it's 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 ongoing this is life work now for us and you know i never imagined myself doing this kind of work doing this kind of art doing this kind of anything like like everything i am right now is because of what has happened to me <laughs> and so you know it, it's it's just, it's surreal most of the time you know, and even when you were talking about when you're reflecting on, you know, how long it's been and, and it's only been nine Christmases, you know, it's only been nine birthdays and, and compared to, you know, whatever, <laughs> but whoa, what we, what's, what's the next question? <laughs> Oh, wait. All right. Well, this is going to be another belief that is commonly held for you to weigh in on. And this belief is the idea that grief or trauma makes relationships stronger or something positive in that way. And, you know, the added question of how has grief changed your partnerships or marriages or family dynamics? Oh, the group we have here today. <laughs> Y'all gonna get a sermon. Anyway, take this one. So I've been divorced for three years from um, Tapio's dad. Um, and I think like even at the, at the beginning when we started having issues after his birth because also um, we kind of had very different experiences of my pregnancy and of his birth, um, especially since he was not there when I went into labor. Um, he wasn't there when I gave birth and um he wasn't there when i had my dead baby in my arms so um our experience were very experiences were very different um and somehow i also feel like now like that knowing that much more um that 
at, at the beginning i kind of also let myself be convinced that um our marriage was already um somehow in out of balance and that's why it we we, we it also fell apart um so it wouldn't have fallen apart if we were strong and our marriage was strong beforehand uh which i'm not saying it is not like that but also we've had very different experiences with Tapio's birth we had very different experience with the grieving process we have had very different um ways to grieve very different ways to cope and deal with um with the new situation that we were in um so we ended up divorcing and it was um for me one of the best decisions um in the last few years um i'm now in a new relationship um i'm happy um and somehow even kind of distracted in a way from the heaviness of grief in a way because um i'm experiencing things in ways um like a relationship in ways i've never experienced before and i and i do feel that that i i let things um kind of rest inside me more like the grief rest more i let it rest more um and i let the happiness out more i'm um experiencing more joy in 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 ways that um kind of feel that like like i do catch myself sometimes trying to figure out like am i forgetting things and um am i letting letting him go am i um kind of um too happy also of course because you know all the guilt we carry um and i do the things that because my experiences now are very different and are so have basically nothing to do my relationship has no connection to the death of my baby baby apart from the connection i have to it um it feels very different and uh, but on the other hand um my partner includes tapio everywhere um i get a christmas ornament i've been getting it every year since we've been together um i get a rock to take to the cemetery if i don't if 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 my partner goes to place i don't go like there's always this kind of inclusion we go to the cemetery together we celebrate him together in in ways that of ways of togetherness i've never done before even with his dad so it's um it's been interesting but i don't know if his death made it possible for me to have a stronger relationship with another person now maybe but um it didn't make anything 
stronger with my marriage that kind of one wow Ooh. <laughs> what I can say is that this is the most destructive shit that could possibly happen to a marriage being a child of divorce myself nobody died <laughs> when that divorce was a thing um so I have, you, you know, this perspective of like things that aren't death can destroy a marriage. Then you add death on top of that. It is a cocktail for disaster, depending on how the two of you grieve. Depending on how the two of you show up in life. And so, you know, like Tina was saying, um, they had very different ways of dealing with the experience because of their proximity or their relationship with the pregnancy or the child. It has really driven a wedge for me and my partner um, because of the way we grieve, not because we don't love each other, not because we have animosity, not because of any of that. We are two of the most connected people, I think. And, and I think that he would also say the same, but he could also tell you better than I could tell you what kind of destruction this has caused between us. And again, we love each other. <laughs> I think he's amazing. And he probably thinks that, I hope, thinks I'm amazing. <laughs> Still. but uh the way we have to show up here is very different and, and we we have our growing to do so you, you know there are times where I felt like I've had to leave him to do whatever he needs to do I've had to let him grieve and and I have had to step back and say, you know what? He's not actually just dismissive of me. He's not just dismissive of everything that we've been through. This is just how he needs to handle this. And it is incredible. It's incredibly difficult. I'm crying right now because like this has been some of the hardest work that I've ever had to do in my life. And I don't think that people on the outside really understand what losing a being that you have created together can do to you. And it's always we're thinking it can't happen to us. It'll never happen to us. We were those people who were like, you know, this will never happen to us. And then it happened to us. And then the world came crumbling down. And I cannot really tell you how our marriage has survived thus far. But I know that if we both hadn't been open and honest about what we were going through, I know that this would have ended a long time ago. You know, and there's still time. Shit, things change. <laughs> you know, I can't be so naive to think that, oh, because we're so aware that this still won't be destructive for us later on. You um, you said a lot there. I think it goes, for me, what I think about is um, it's life work for me. Also life work as a couple. Um, and 
it's been five, five and a half years for, for us. And there's been so many times where there's just been, you know, tension and I felt like I couldn't be my true self or I was holding the grief and crying in the shower because I couldn't cry next to him or um, couldn't share the extent of the or the depth of the 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 anger, the pain, the all the different emotions of just the reality. We were grieving very separately, but there was anger that I had because he looked fine. He showed up fine, but it wasn't until like the beginning days of the pandemic, almost three years later, we were forced to have some really deep conversations um and it all came back to um i mean it's it it's life work and holding that space for each other recognizing that completely different or it can be completely different and i think it's so important to talk about that in this space because i've seen so many cis male cis female white individuals that stand together and that's great for them i'm happy for them but that's not the reality for many at all who have to show up for themselves for each others who have a ton of ancestral weight a ton of additional weight that they have to just that they have experienced just being you know, BIPOC, Black, whatever you identify as, but like, it's not the same. So I want to, I think, I, I just want to hold space for all of you for thank you for, for sharing because we can't pretend that it's all nice and um, that you feel supported by your partner or your family. Oh, let's, let's, <laughs> let's even go there. Listen, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even bring up family. You know, I didn't even bring up family and I will not go into it here because it's a long story. I will do a podcast episode about it, but, (laughs) you know, it changes every single relationship that you have, not just your marriages, not just your relationships with your living children. And, you know, my family right now, they're nowhere to be seen. They are on both sides, you know? It's show up when it's convenient for them. And that's okay, but I gotta survive y'all. And if I keep asking for things and y'all don't show up, then, you know, I don't, y'all gonna just be outside of whatever I'm doing from now on because I need to, really you know kind of focus on this and I have been told that I share too many pictures of my daughter by my relatives and I'm like you know what I don't care am I supposed to what you want me to do get off the internet bye you can unfollow me that's what you can do that that's your choice and you're also telling me what I mean to you you're also telling me that I can't share this with you a huge part of my life a huge part of why I'm still sitting here right now is that I can't share this with you and I cannot because I'm making you too sad and I tell you that is verbatim of what was said to me it makes me too sad 
to look at pictures of your daughter on the internet. Well, fuck off then. Get off the internet. That's my advice to you. <laughs> because <laughs> I took some really great pictures. <laughs> yeah, they're adorable. And like, you know what? They wouldn't say that to you about your living kids. No, they wouldn't. Or their living kids or their living aunts or, you know, like cousins or whatever. And like, once again, it's the way that you parent and you stand up relentlessly for your child, whether they're dead or alive. Absolutely. And if people can't hold space, they can get the hell out of your area, right? Because that's your boundary. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. That was a deep one. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I was so just like reflecting on that. I mean, it's, it's a deep one. And like you said, you can go, we can, we can spend hours, days on that theme, but like relationships are such a deep one. And it's so, I'm not saying that we're victims of any sort or anything like that, but if you're looking to be an ally, you got to do the work. You got right. to do fucking work. Absolutely. Hmm. Do we feel complete on that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move to our next question, which I, which is, what are three things that help you manage to get through each day? Hmm. And as you all can see by our silence, <laughs> it takes us a moment to really think about that. Because as I said earlier, it's, I, I almost can't even tell you how or why, but um, you know what jumps to my mind at this moment is me knowing that there are other people out there who understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, desire for anything, really. <laughs> it had and, and so the field opens up. I think because I've been so shattered in so many ways in that, you know, it's hard to find things to be grateful for. It's hard to find, which is not to say that there's nothing to be grateful for. And I think this is a, this is a thing that goes on with, with grief and we're in the time of thankfulness and holiday cheer. So when I say it's hard to find things to be grateful for, I mean, it's hard for me to reinsert myself into this life. It's hard for me to grab onto my living children and say, oh my God, I hesitate every time. They're my reason for living. <laughs> I don't say that anymore because it's not true for me. Um, I would think being able to see their smiles is is really awesome it just depends on my energy like I have to show up and I have to <laughs> you know do stuff and so yeah it's really great to wake up to them and it's awesome when I go check for their breath and they're alive so you know we're in a state of anxiety and to so our bodies are going through this thing and I'm like oh yep there's okay this is good. And then, and then I can start my day with like, oh my gosh, you know, 
they're alive. Yay, everything else is the bonus round. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, here we are. Yeah, what do I get up for? I started to get emotional there for a while because uh, I don't think that I've really stopped to deeply consider that. What what do I get up for? Because um, I don't have those touchstones, right? And again, mm -hmm. we're not do we're not seeing these things to be victims, um, but acknowledging like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have children that are my own to wake up to. Um, but um, I, I have my body. I I love dancing, and I can, I get up. Um, and I get to move and I have shared in other spaces how much dance has been <clears throat> a, a healing place for me. Very much that connection um, to my heart and to my body and to the music. And I think sometimes, whew, sometimes I think, and it's not to sound cliche, but I think sometimes, ooh, the music is the only thing that will get me out of bed. And sometimes it's, you know, it is, fuck, I need to get up and I need to go to work. And am I gonna, you know, am I gonna channel, am I gonna channel Beyonce to get me through this? So yep. <laughs> thank goodness for yep. thank goodness for that Renaissance album this summer because you know that got me up. <laughs> you know, sometimes it is. It's like, well, body, how are you feeling today? <laughs> I don't want to get out of bed, but you know, I need to make that coin. So what's gonna get me in? what's going to get my feet planted back on in the ground? Not even what's going to get me in work or in the car. What's going to get my body up out of bed and just my feet on the ground? Like, that's all I can ask of myself right now. That is the only thing I can ask of myself right now. Because thank goodness, breathing is involuntary. <laughs> the mechanism yeah, listen. body. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness that that is, that is an involuntary physiological and biological response because I don't even know <laughs> but yep. yeah but there's the music and then sometimes sometimes if because I, you know I need in that moment to validate my own sadness sometimes it's it's a really really sad song that's like just gonna let me open the floodgates if I have the time <laughs> and even if I don't have the time um it just continues into the shower and it continues into the car and and you know I give my myself time for that but um yeah I guess that feeling the feeling of the ground touching my feet the sound of whatever music gets I I choose in that day and sometimes it's sometimes it, it it's that shuffle freaking shuffle play sometimes it's that shuffle play and you know it will be what it needs to be and if that's all I can hold on to I hold on to that 
Yeah. I was just thinking about like, I went to work two weeks after I've given birth because that was all the um, medical leave I was given. Um, and I've been then on autopilot for about two years, maybe even three years. And then the project ended at uh, where I was working. So I've basically been unemployed since, which is now quite a bit of time. I do work um, occasionally, but on a general level, I'm unemployed, which means that it took me about three years to start even thinking about things like what do I get up for um what is my reason because everything else and everything before was just because you know you get up you go to work you come home kids dinner bed morning and again um and and I think like um, now, if I think about it, 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 it is hard. It's hard to, to find to find what it actually is um, because I don't know, my life is not really what I, what I thought it was gonna be at this um, time for myself. And I don't know if this is the kind of dream or plan or something that I had before Tapio died or is it something that just um, kind of feels different now um, but I do feel that like I wake up for connection a lot whatever that means that time um, I also choose my connections very carefully and I don't just connect for the sake of connection anymore. Um, and it's been a struggle because of that, but I also refuse to enter any kind of relationships or transactions that are meaningless. Um, I wake up for love whatever love is um, at that moment, if it's, I don't know, my children's voices making their breakfast while I'm still in bed, um, or if it's waking up next to my partner, which is um, really something I look forward to. Um, what do I wake up for? I don't know. A walk by the seaside on a nice day when it's really nice, sunny and windy, and I can take pictures in my favorite spots. Um, yeah, and I also it changes every day. Every day can be something different. Every day can be something new. Where I hope it is. Yeah, life's for me. The 
the theme that keeps coming up is um, for me is um, being on autopilot sometimes or like maybe it's disassociating myself for a little bit just so that I can force myself to get out of bed and sometimes it's forced because I have TJ siblings but um, in the early days um, when he when he died um, the very basic necessities helped me out of bed so um, coffee I always loved coffee and um, I used to go to Starbucks every day, got the cheap version of, of a good coffee um, at Starbucks. But um, when he died, I couldn't go to Starbucks. And um, within the first week, at least, my um, my husband, um, we, we had my mom um, staying with us to watch um, our eldest daughter, but my husband brought me coffee in the morning and just put it on the side um, of the bedroom table because um, I was lying in bed and just I didn't want to get out of bed. And he said, "When you're when you're ready, the coffee's here." Um, and I laid there for it was probably a good hour, but when I was finally ready, it was the coffee that got me out. And um, I made that decision that I would reclaim my coffee and it's evolved to my TJ coffee, my intentional time that I have for him in the morning, even if it's just uh, coffee, the smelling coffee deeply and saying, I love you, the TJ, you know, or um, it's, it's my time with him. So at the very basic level of, of uh, just, fueling my cup my tj coffee gets me out of bed um no matter if i feel numb and i'm out of pilot that day it it roots me and that's just like the basic necessity these days that that um it's hard um but i but i always look forward to it's like that smelling of the coffee it's taking a picture even sometimes of capturing my moment. I may have tears in my eyes, I may not. I may have a smiley face or, you know, all these different things, but it's, I've really um, tried to be intentional in that moment, but that's kind of what gets me out of bed. This question is, what do you wish friends knew? I'll go. Um, I wish that they knew this wasn't a loss, that it truly was a death and is held every single day and will be held for the rest of my life. I wish they knew that I am a changed person and that's okay. And I, and I hope that they continue to do the work and hold my hands um, on those moments, on those days that may be a little heavier and may be uncomfortable for them. Um, I hope they do not look away from the discomfort um, or just look away from the pain. Because mm -hmm. I'm not changing. <laughs> But um, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, 
this is this is I'm an unapologetic griever. That's what I say. This is this is me. So please stand. Here, here, <laughs> here, here to that. Um, I I truly wish people just knew that they could themselves be in a state of turmoil and people will still love them and that they don't have to stuff down their grief they don't have to stuff down their anger they don't have to pretend like it's anything other than anger because you know anger gets a bad reputation <laughs> so you know, it's part of living. It's part of grieving. It's part of being in this world. It's part of like, you know, having to pick up and, and move forward. And I don't say move on as often because, you know, I, again, it's not a book that I've closed and put away and I'll never think about it again. You know, I've wished for a lobotomy a million times, <laughs> like a million times. Like if I could just not feel this for for 20 minutes, shit, 20 minutes is a lifetime to me right now. And that time, it fluctuates and time is not a healer. It's the work that we have to put in. It's the reinsertion into this life without this life. You know, it's not lack. This is a life without, you know, it's not something we're imagining. And that our responses and that our, our reactions are perfectly normal to something that hurts so deeply. I wish my friends knew that I need them. Yeah. That, um, the fact that I do and I can do things very efficiently by myself doesn't mean that I don't need anything. Um, that um, I just don't, I just not don't want to ask. I just am used to not getting what I need, so I don't ask anymore. Um, but yeah, I want you to say that one more time for the motherfuckers in the back. Well, <laughs> it's like when you, when you, when you, when you've been asking for so long and not getting what you need, it's really easy to just take over. Um, yes. So yeah, but I, I need my friends and family, um, even if it might not seem so, but I do. Because mm -hmm. everything else is just a coping mechanism. And just because I'm not used to, used to getting what I need, I, I have needed to learn to do it myself. Yeah. I agree with that. Oh. I wish my friends knew that I get tired of being so strong. <sighs> that I get tired of being so strong. 
because again, in society here, strongness is applauded. We are applauded so much for our bravery and our strength. Say more. (laughs) (laughs) In my head, I'm like, no, say less. (laughs) No, I want you to say more because I, I think you know, I am the squeaky wheel and I'm always saying this stuff. Like I'm saying it out in public and saying, I, and, and that's the point of like, you know, we're around the world right now. And there are many other folks that I could have invited who are, but our, our grief experiences really are running parallel, mm. you know, to each other. And we are having these same experiences. And this is a club that you just do not fucking want to be in y'all. You don't want to be in this place. And we have all found ourselves in this place because of what's happened to us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I get tired. I get tired of being the strong one. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to number six, our sixth question. If you decide you don't want to go on, we understand that. How can we support you if that ever comes up? So I will start (laughs) just because I know what what a taboo subject that suicide is. And I don't want people to think that this never comes up. Because it comes up. And it comes up in various forms. It comes up in, you know, people actually taking their own lives and dying by suicide. It comes up in the form of ideation of folks thinking about dying and thinking about ways to die because this is so heavy and it comes up in the form of wishing you were dead. Maybe you're not planning it, but you probably have wished it a time for two or 10 or a hundred. So, you know, I want us to be informed. I want us to be honest in saying that this is really a possibility from the first day to whenever. So this lasts as long as your grief lasts, as long as you are dealing with this thing that is seemingly unimaginable and the hardest thing you'll ever deal with. Um, The support comes in these little moments, in these moments of Acknowledging that there has been something that has happened. Acknowledging that this is the hardest thing that this person might be going through. Acknowledging that this is a real possibility. And not trying to step in and say, hey, you have all these wonderful things to live for. Because those same wonderful things could also be the same stressors. And so us being aware, us being able to sit in conversation like this, us being able to be heard, 
us being able to acknowledge that this is the most painful thing we're doing and not being dismissed and not being made to feel like we're crazy or that we shouldn't be having this reaction. I feel that like, um, especially like for me, it's especially been at the beginning where when like the pain was so like like under uh, it was just so the magnitude of it was was beyond anything i could have ever imagined and and i think the the probably even an instinct is just you wanted to stop you just wanted to stop and it's and i've i've probably like for myself i've never in any way felt or been suicidal um but that doesn't mean that i've never that that i have not thought about like it wouldn't matter if I didn't wake up. Like I do, I do, um, I don't think that I would ever hurt myself, but like my heart could have just burst at some right. point. I don't know. It was like when, when things are so heavy and, and it, like still when you're also like just tried to figure it, figuring it out what like how are you still going how is this still something that you're able to do like every day how are you still breathing how how is that even possible um mm -hmm. but yeah it is but it's it's a possibility and 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 i feel that like experiences like this like death of a child um or any kind of experiences with with such a great magnitude just like opens you up also um to these possibilities and to these um like lets you drop all the judgment for for the people who actually do feel this way who do don't want to carry on because you can understand because you're questioning why you still are like of course your intentions are 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 different but it's still like that doesn't mean that like the you don't know the pain or um so yeah i just i'm just here to support Mm -hmm. and, and and be there and whatever that might mean i'm not gonna try to convince anybody different of how they're feeling it's not really right. yeah i struggle with answering this question with words um mm -hmm. i felt a lot um and there's a lot sitting in me right now with 
with that question. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the it's not the first time. It's not the first time yeah. I've struggled. All my life I have, and I didn't know. But I think um, with Leona, that it became so clear that that's what I was wanting. Versus before, it was when it came up, I had to have a reason. There were people, you know, it was basically what I was doing to myself again was that listening to those external voices of, well, why? How could you possibly be feeling this way? How could you possibly, how could you, how could you even find that idea remotely? I don't want to say desirable, but like, how could you consider it? You know, and I did that to myself all my life. How could I, how could I? How could I have this second chance at life being an adoptee and have these feelings? Yeah. Okay, possibly. So you talk yourself out of it and God help that little that little Kim who somehow figured out, <laughs> who somehow, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow figured out not to, not to go that way even though much of my life has been that. And I think in some ways with Leona, it made it easier to want that because I had there, I had someone waiting for me on the other side, the second I needed her versus here where (laughs) here where the people that I did need wouldn't be there for me in a second. If I went the other way, in my beliefs, I would have someone waiting for me. She would be there regardless of what anyone said about what, where I might end up if I did that. It didn't matter to me. She'd be there. And so I had to fight that real hard. Um, and I still do, still do. Um, I think when, when I start disconnecting, um, when I, when I, I, when I begin to isolate, basically it's the opposite of everything that I want as a grieving person, as a grieving person, I want to be validated as a grieving person. I want to be surrounded by people who can support me with words or just being there. Um, a handhold, uh, when I want to, when I want in my grief to find comfort and solace in the signs in hearing her name, when all when I don't want any of that, when I start resenting it, when I don't want it anymore, when I don't want the person to hold my hand anymore, 
when I don't want anyone else to say her name but me or for her to say her own name. When I want to go to that place where I can hear her say her own goddamn name herself. That's, that's when I'm losing it. That's when I'm losing my grip. <laughs> so, so when the opposite, the opposite of this open grieving starts happening, when the opposite, when I don't want to cry anymore about it, when I don't want to talk about it anymore, when I don't want to reach out, when I don't want to connect, when I don't want to love, when the opposite of grieving happens, I'm losing my grip and I don't want to go on. So when a mother is still talking about it, when a mother is holding on in those ways, they're fucking holding on as hard as they're holding on to something bigger than life itself. Because the opposite means I'm not here. And that's as, that's what it is. Damn, you nailed it because that's what it is. It's when the opposite, when you have to let go, when you have to decide that you can't talk about them anymore. Um, I think about dying every day every day I have an incredible life y'all I have an incredible life yeah and as incredible as it is I have to find a reason every day to say yes to this. I have to find a reason, find. Like go looking for a reason not to be disgusted. I have to find a reason to reinsert myself, to fall in love again. I have to find a reason every day, every day. Not every other day, not some of the time. Not, well, you, you, you look like you have a fantastic life and you have all these things to be grateful for. Beloved, I have to find a reason to not just will myself to not wake up the next day. Um, I have said this before. It's like, you know what? I feel like people would be better off. You know, that maybe I caused all of this, that maybe I'm continuously causing other people grief or that, and again, like you were talking about, it's your whole life grief or the trauma or whatever it is unearths everything you've ever been through so it's not just the impact of this one thing that has happened it, this impact might be reinforcing some things that have already happened to you mm -hmm. 
in the past. So maybe it's unearthing abandonment. Maybe it's unearthing your dismissive parents. Maybe it's unearthing, you know, some abuse patterns that you've had in the past or whatever it is. Um, and if those things keep getting reinforced, this is too heavy. This is too heavy to carry and folks aren't listening. And they'd be the first ones at your at your bedside talking about, well, what if I had known? Well, bitch, I've been saying it all this time. <laughs> like, I've been hollering out here. I've been swimming in the middle of the ocean. I've been drunk. I've been, like, drowning. And, like, I've been asking and asking and asking for your help. And you've not been here. Mm. It's the absence of folks. It's the layered grief that you may have. And again, like I said, I think about dying every single day. And I also think about what it would do to my children. But I also think about the work that I do as a grief coach. Mm. I've been writing this shit down. If y'all don't read it, that's on you. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. You know, and holding that responsibility of what I may cause for somebody else. That's a lot, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, oh, uh, but the relief to be able to even say that in a room with people and not be chided about it and to not be trying to be convinced that, oh, my God, I can't believe. Because, again, nobody wants to have adventures more than I do. <laughs> like Nobody wants me to be out there doing what I do more than I do. So logic and reason go out of the window sometimes. And um, I wish people were more gentle and I wish people were more aware that this is a very real thing that will make you wish you we're dead. There have been a lot of days where I have said out loud, I would rather fucking be dead. And it's the truest shit I can say. Regardless of what I'm leaving behind, regardless of who says they love me the most, Cumulatively, what I have been through, I don't feel loved. I don't feel cared for. I don't feel supported by these people, you know? Like, regardless of, I've been, I was talking to Mickey, who is our co-host for Grief After Dark about this some time ago about, you know, even being mindful in the fact that, yeah, somebody could be loved and they could be doing all of these things, but if they don't feel it, if they don't feel it, that's a real different, that's a real different thing. And so, you know, words, saying that you love somebody is not always the band-aid that you can put on every single wound. It's the showing up, it's the acknowledgement, it's the you know, that on the ground work actions speak louder than words. And then, you know, us even finding each other, finding our way to each other and communing like this. This is an action. This is not just us 
without words. Mm-hmm. It's Kim, you know you could call me anytime. And I won't question. <laughs> I'll be like, what's going on? <laughs> it's that space to say, you know, hey, it's it's those times where you know people are gonna answer you. You know. Like you just know, even though we're not even in proximity with each other in the same state, you know that if you text me and say some stuff that I will respond and I will listen. Like Tina knows this. I know this about Tina. I know this about Jamie. I know this about, you know, Dominique. And I think that's one of the things that's so special about showing people these types of relationships among us in this community so thank you for being here thank you for sharing your stories i didn't y'all listen i had to stop and get tissues several times <laughs> because <laughs> like this this has been incredibly uh healing and you know i don't feel bad for for showing this emotion and uh thank you for for listening and being with us. This is Ask Grief Girl, our special segment for the holidays. And we are dedicating the show to our beloveds. And we hope that you have gained an awareness about how to help, what you can offer, uh, and how you can love people in their times of trauma. <laughs>